Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, we're going to take a few episodes to talk about a TV series. Steve McQueen, who we've done Widows on. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the only film of his we've done on the podcast. But he's well known for... Bit, well, he won the Turner Prize as an artist. Yes. Uh, and then he did Hunger, uh, about uh, Bobby Sands, yes. the um, hunger striker in um, Ireland. Uh, then he did Shame. Yes. Uh, which I wasn't crazy about. I think that's my least favourite of his films. Yeah, I liked it. Then he did 12 Years a Slave, which yes. is extraordinary. Yes. And I think that's kind of a hinge in cinema in some respects. I think the films that we've seen since 12 Years a Slave are telling black stories. I think kind of, they, I think they kind of came from there because that won so many Oscars and it was so big. Yes. I, I kind of feel like that emboldened something. Um, yes, I think you might be right. Um, and then he did Widows, which, as I said, we've done. Mm. Um, and which I came round on because I didn't, I wasn't mad about that the first time. But you, I love it, and Lee Kemp, who we had on the podcast, mm. kind of talked me into liking it more. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> and now he's doing this anthology series on the BBC. We started with Mangrove, which is mm. the first. Uh, the second will be um, Lovers Rock. Mm. Mangrove is a feature length film. Um. The rest are going to be shorter than this, I think. I know that Lovers Rock is about an hour long. This is two hours. And they tell stories about black British history. Mm. I think it makes a lot of sense to do this as a TV anthology because I think one thing that I think is true of all of Steve McQueen's work is a sense of social responsibility. And I think mm. that's something that you can tie into TV so much because it's you have to be, I think, making TV pipes into people's homes for free. Mm. I think you have to be responsible and mm. tell stories responsibly. And I mm. kind of feel that with this, and I think it, I think it's a good fit. Yes, I loved it. I thought it was great, really. Mm. Um, I mean, I always have this question, uh, and it's you know, it's not a dig, and it's not a you know, I me mean, putting a sense, but kind of you know, I wonder, it's, it's how is this television in a way? Yeah, kind of. I think we're we're seeing these blurring of boundaries, like you know, between kind of, you know, what is film and what is television. Um, what I liked, it has some other poetry that I expect. From uh, a visual artist. Yeah, and which you rarely get uh, in television, in my experience. Yeah. Mm. So the film is full of shots of, you know, the, the voice speakers over the rain, yeah, the way that it holds certain cuts so that you pay attention to the image, yeah, mm-hmm. in between sequences... You know, all of those things are kind of, you know, they're very unusual. The way that, you know, the waiting in jail, you get this, you know, long take held for a long time of smoking, yeah, of, of smoke rings. Yeah, there are things like that that kind of evoke, yeah, and kind of condense. And, you know, that are a form of visual poetry that I don't think, uh, well, that I don't associate with television normally. On the other hand, I think, you know, the fact that it is television in some ways also brings in something that I found kind of missing in Steve McQueen's work till now, which is that it is accessible. And I completely agree. Yeah, and it is emotionally accessible. Yeah, kind of, you know, there is a melodramatic verve to the storytelling here which widows would have greatly profited from. <laughs> I reckon, yeah. yeah. Um, 
You know, it's kind of, it's not afraid of narrative and of plot and of characterization and on kind of relatively traditional narrative tropes of suspense, of keeping people waiting, of, yeah. And I would say of exposition, which is normally a word that has all these negative connotations. And I think here where it's, it explains things to the audience. I mm. think it really works. So the so the story is about um, the mangrove restaurant in 1968, set up in 1968 by Frank Critchlow, uh, a black man from uh, Trinidad and Tobago. A lot of the characters here are from Trinidad and Tobago uh, in Notting Hill, and it becomes a kind of community centre for Notting mm. Hill and for the various uh, kind of black um, immigrants who live there. And it's constantly harassed by the police, who mm. we have shown up deeply racist and do it for fun and take pride and, and, and joy in uh, the pain that they cause the black residents of the area. The black residents march peacefully up to the police station and they're chanting, they're holding placards and so on and it turns into a fight. The police come there for a fight and it kicks off and then it goes to court and so it becomes this courtroom drama where... Um, I think there are nine. They're, they're the Mangrove Nine. That's what mm. they were called in. in, in you know, that's what they're known as. The nine defendants, who include Darkus Howe, um, who's uh, who was the only one I recognised. Yes, me um, too. And he's a kind of central figure in Notting Hill, Notting Hill Carnival. But so are all these people, mm. and a lot of them defend themselves. And they go to the Old Bailey. The Old Bailey, as the film explains, and this is what I'm saying about exposition. The film explains this is where the the worst crimes are tried, mm. you know, rape, murder, that kind of thing. So they're setting an example here. Or they're trying to tell you to know your place. Mm. Um, I don't mind that the film explains that in dialogue. You know, I think it's kind of fine that you, you have to read into mm. it yourself. I, do you know what I mean? I think I know, No, I think that the, 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 the film or the work uh, benefits from it. Yeah, yeah it I kind agree. of, you know, you know where you stand in relation to the characters. Um, and they talk about big ideas, which I think is part of it. So Darkest Hand in particular is a big ideas guy. And I think there's a really interesting tension, at least for a while, between kind of small ideas and big ideas. So Frank, who runs the restaurant, I think it's interesting that he's older than the activists who are younger than he is. Mm. You know, they're, they're kind of in their 20s, maybe, or maybe early 30s. And he seems to be in his 40s at least. Mm. Um, and he's just running a business, right? He used to run this restaurant, I forget the name... And it appears to have been a place where there was kind of illegal gambling and mm. drug smoking because when he's accused of that by the police, he doesn't deny any of it. He says, no, but this place is different. Mm. You know, we're not doing that here. This is a real restaurant and so on. So the mangrove becomes a, a kind of hub for the community without him really intending it to. And it's mm. Dark as How, in fact, who talks him round to supporting the march that they end up going on. Mm. Dark as How is a guy with big ideas. and I mean, he's associated early on with reading and he talks... And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, yeah, but he's not doing anything. Mm. And then, of course, he does go on to do things, and he ends up giving this... Fa oh, he he cross-examines uh, the police officers in court, and it's wonderful because it's it's got so many of my love... So many of the um, courtroom scenes that I love where someone picks apart why someone was lying mm. and does so, so beautifully and elegantly, and there's a lot of that. Mm. And then he goes on to give the wonderful summation, which is so powerful, mm. that leads to the gallery, which is full of you know, members of the community uh, all cheering. And, it's, and so, so kind of he, he, be, he becomes... A, well, it's interesting because there's no, there's no central hero. You know, they are, this is a film about community, and the cast is a community too. No, not one of them takes 
the lead. Yes, it's very they have the un- lead at different points. It's very unusual in that regard. Mm. Yeah, it's a two-hour television film uh, that doesn't have a protagonist, you know, or or where the couple isn't a protagonist. It is really about a group of people. Uh, and a group of people on trial, because I think it's also important that it is a courtroom drama or, you know, it kind of it quickly becomes one, right? I, th- I would say almost the last ha- hour. I mean, it seems to, seems like the last half of the film, yeah. Yeah, is is uh, uh, a courtroom drama. So so it is like this group of people that's on trial for the color of their skin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so it is a film about big ideas. In fact, I think it begins with C.L.R. James discussing with uh how yeah and yes yeah so you know and he's a famous kind of political um economist i would say or you know political philosopher who wrote as my brother-in-law keeps telling me a fantastic book on cricket (laughs) 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 so um so it begins kind of you know as that dialogue yeah he's the old guy yeah yeah uh so so it begins with kind of key historical figures, yeah, and so it is instantly a film about ideas, yeah, yeah. and about justice and rights and so on, yeah. Yeah, but then they become action. I think that's kind of what it, where I suppose I was going. The idea that action is kind of separate from ideas at the start. Mm. You know, I kind of thought, oh, dark is how he's talking, but um, the action is is you know else the action is in this restaurant, which is getting. Um, harassed and people get beaten up and so on and, and you know just with random black kids on the street who get harassed they you know you see the police officers they play cards whoever draws the ace of spades has to nick the first black guy they see yes. and that's part of their fun and games fun. so and I, I wanted to say you know that um, in a slightly different context that is part of my lived experience but yeah I wanted to ask you about that you know because I think it's kind of worth reminding people you know like uh, kind of what is depicted in this film in relation, you know, to race, you know, I experience in relation to homosexuality in Montreal, the police would just raid these places for fun and terrorize you and they'd get a kick out of that. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and it also obviously kind of went a lot further there, but, you know, uh, um, I think it's, it's, it's important to remind people that, uh, it's not a distant past. It's probably still going on in relation to kind of different groups and different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one could see. Um, well, I was going to bring up the U.S., but actually, I think it's important to keep it distinct. I mean, obviously, what we see in this film is influenced by American civil rights struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the Black Panthers have a presence in this film. Yeah. They had a presence in Britain at the time. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, it's informed by that, uh, but obviously it's kind of like a clearly distinct um, history mm. with, a, with, a, with a clearly distinct soundtrack, which I think is worth mentioning. Yeah, although uh, to be fair, I didn't pick up on many songs, but I, I just noted the, the ambiance. Oh, well, I knew them all, and they are all kind of uh, reggae or reggae-influenced, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's kind of a completely... so. You can imagine a film about this being set in the U.S. and it would all be like uh, Aretha Franklin and Marvin Gaye and the Supremes and James Brown. And I mean, yeah. if you think back to we saw Detroit back when we started doing the podcast, yes. which was about 
similar. Yes, okay. that's a good comparison, actually. Yeah, I'm that. sure the soundtrack in that had that kind of thing going on. Yeah. Because it started off with a party. And, yeah. So, so this is, you know, uh, I, I think what I loved about this film is the Britishness of it. Yeah. Mm. That, you know, even the soundtrack is a different one. It would be kind of, you know, what people of Caribbean uh, descent or origin would be listening to in Britain in this period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, and actually I couldn't name all the songs, but I know them all. Yeah. And actually, I think some of them, you know, I, I danced to them as a teenager. So, you know, they're part of my soundtrack uh, as well. Uh, and they're beautifully used, actually. And the music makes up part of the community. Everyone's playing steel drums. In fact, the Letitia Wright character, who's a kind of Black Panther representative, who comes into pe- talking to people about um, supporting the trade unions and so on, she's sort of made to play the steel drums by yeah. Frank early on. It's like a test. Like, yeah. it's a light-hearted thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's like that's kind of... That is central to the thing. As soon as people start playing the steel drums, everyone gets out in a conga line, effectively, and goes out to the street. Mm. And it's wonderful. Yes. You know? I'm trying to think about because I do think this is wonderful, actually, you know. And I was and I was thinking, you know, what do I like about this that I sometimes dislike about other films that we've seen, other American films that we've seen recently on, you know, the similar topics. And I think what this lacks is the kind of superior smarminess <laughs> that you sometimes get you know, in kind of, you know, some of these American works like Ava DuVernay or something. Yeah, the sense that of righteousness, that you are right and you have the knowledge. And It's yeah. a common criticism of yours, the idea that, oh, you don't have all the answers. Yeah. You pretend that you do. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so actually, I think, I think this is a very generous-hearted film and a kind of a very honest one, right? Like, you know, so, so from what you were saying, yeah, the protagonist, before he did The Mangrove, you know, he ran this other business that had drugs and prostitutes and, you know, that lots of gay men went to, right? Uh, yeah, and kind of, you know, he's not embarrassed about it. And, yeah, uh, mm. you know, that is part of, of, of what it is. And actually, and you could imagine how a club like that would also in its own way be a shelter, if not quite a community center to many people as well. Mm. And, and there's a narrative drive into it that actually, you know, it's a leap to respectability that is being shut down. Yeah, it's almost as much the move to something without a criminal element. It's almost like your place is within this underworld. Yeah, that's kind of what a lot of yeah. the struggle in the film is about. Um, but you know, there's a struggle for justice and liberation, but without that American type of smugness, and I like that very much. Mm. I agree with you. I also think it's got a fantastic sense of humor. Yes. Makes loads of good jokes. And a lot of the jokes come out of the black characters observing, you know, something that happens in court mm. um, and laughing at, you know, um, or, well, it can be that or it can be the fact that you recognise that something is obviously silly. Well, my favourite joke in the thing was everyone in the high court, everyone in the old Bailey is wearing these silly wigs. That's what they do. Yes. That's part of the uniform. And I think there's mention of it early on. Um, but, you know, you just let it pass. So they all wear wigs. And... Then uh, all the defendants who are sat together, the, the, the Mangrove Nine, um, are wearing these very normal navy blue beanies hats. And the judge orders them to take those silly things off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. And it's not pointed up, but I, I thought that was so good. And they, and they really point out, again, in dialogue, that by representing themselves especially, they are challenging 
the status quo. They're mm. challenging the system. They're challenging the self-importance mm. of the system. And, you know, they make the point that win or lose, by going into court and representing ourselves and making our own arguments, that is a victory. Mm. That is a victory. There's a bigger, again, big idea, small idea thing. Like, the big idea is a structural mm. victory. And this this was the first um, case is what I was reading. I think it may have said something similar at the end of the film that acknowledged, that ju- judicially acknowledged racism in the Metropolitan Police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. That's not an accident that these guys achieved that. Yes. Though, I mean, I think part of the reason why I really love uh, this uh, show, this film, is because uh, it has nuance. You get the overarching kind of story in a way that is moving and exciting. But then there's also all these little things, right? And so, for example, you know, at the end, you see Frank with his wife in their apartment, I think before going to court, and you see this blurry reflection in the mirror, and it's clearly that his wife is white, yeah? Mm. It's not mentioned, it's not, yeah, but it's just, it's this minor kind of thing, you know, but which brings up whole issues of interracial marriage, of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it doesn't have the separatism, you know, that you sometimes see in other works, yeah, that insists on it. Mm. Um, I mean, kind of, you know, this is all really driven by black people. But, you know, you have kind of the solicitor who's an ally and a pal and and helps, yeah? Mm -hmm. It kind of, you know, so the focus is, you know, on the mangrove nine. Yeah, but you also get the sense that, you know, uh, uh, they didn't do it alone. Yeah, and lives are lived in a way that are not separatist, that are part of the larger culture. And in fact, I think the whole kind of latter quarter of the film makes us its focus. The fact that, you know, it's not just an issue about race, or rather that it is an issue about race, but one that affects the civil liberties of the nation as a whole. Yeah, mm. And that's kind of the ground in which it's... Uh, Fought, yeah, yeah. The right of assembly and the right of protest and so on yeah. is kind of you know is is being fought over this question of race, yeah. But uh, it has ramifications uh, for everybody, no matter what their race. Yeah, and for the future, where when Frank is kind of really ground down mm. by the system and by the fights, and he's getting close to taking the plea mm. and taking what you know five years or I think it was mentioned, the Letitia Wright character. She says, my kids, my unborn kids. Mm. Like, it matters to them too. This is for everybody. Mm. And there's a very... They know their place in history. you know. And again, Darkest Howe, when he gives that summation, says much the same thing. He says, win or lose, I don't really care. History's on my side. Mm. You know? There's a kind of... I mean, I'd be interested to know how many of those remarks were taken from his actual... Close, I imagine you know, quite a lot. Um, I mean... Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. You know, because... Um, this is 50 years on. This does have a place in history. Although, to be fair, this isn't a story that I knew. And I don't know how unusual I am in not having heard of it. Mm. It's not something that... Come, but to be fair, I didn't even fucking know Dunkirk. The, uh, until <laughs> Somehow I'd missed Dunkirk. But um, I think it might be similar to The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Which I think was around the same time in America. And Aaron Sorkin has done a film on that on Netflix. Mm. Although I'm nervous about that because I was reading to people saying, like, how can you... Because he, he said, oh, I only just heard about this. And people were saying, how can you write the West Wing and not be aware of this mm. sort of history? But uh, that's another thing. But um, I, So I don't know how unusual I am in not knowing about this specifically. Maybe, maybe that's just like rank 
normal white ignorance in this country. Yes. And it's much more common knowledge in the black community. Yes. I must say, I didn't know about this. Um, you know, and I kind of, well, many, many years ago, but I had done some research into black British cinema and, you know, the Sankofa Collective and, you know, Isaac Julian's films and so on. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, you know, you have a vague sense of a history of black protests and the Notting Hill, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. Um, but I didn't know about this case specifically, yeah. yeah. even though, of course, you're, you know, I've, I think ever since I've been living in England, you've seen Darkest Howe on, on television, yeah. you yeah. know, in the news, every time there's some kind of, you know, incident, he was kind of an important go-to figure. Um, though I haven't seen him recently, actually. But, uh, That's because he died three years ago. Ah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. I rather like the, um, the, the Scottish lawyer who comes in to help them. Yes, and, I and like And kind him. of leads the case from the bench. Yes. He was Scottish. I looked again at the guy up. Um, he was a Scottish lawyer, but I think it's kind of there's something nice about him being Scottish and um, coming into the very English Old Bailey and again kind of making a mess of it in a sense, trying to trying to disrupt it. There's a smile on. His, he knows that he's not going to win the various arguments that he makes. Really, like he talks about wanting an all black jury and goes back to the Magna Carta to make the argument that there's precedent for this or, or that there's a basis in law to make this argument. And of course, it gets dismissed immediately out of hand. But you know, he has this smile on his face when he sits down. Because he's he's got the argument on the record. Mm. That's really what it's about. I think he knows again that the picture is bigger than this, mm. um, and it, and the film actually finishes with Frank outside the restaurant, um, you know, having a cigarette, and someone, you know, one of the guys comes up and says to him, "You know, you won the battle, but we'll see about the war." And again, I think that's that speaks to this this stratification of something small related to something much bigger. Yes, but also I think. You know, an intelligence, and even though the film works on you emotionally, it's not sentimental the way that, again, I often find a lot of these American films. You know, the film gives you an emotional send-off, they win, you know, but actually it then has all these addendums, right? You know, the club continued to be raided, or he didn't get an apology, or, you know, it took like uh, 15 years or whatever to get £50,000 in damages, and then eventually the club had to close down in 1992 anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what you get in this final victory is that actually the struggle continues. You mm-hmm. know, And actually it's that element. So I don't want to overemphasize, or I don't want it to make it seem that the kind of part of what I like about this is that, you know, it includes on the margins kind of, uh, white people, you know, the kind of that's not what I want to touch on. But I think what I want to touch on is that any struggle is always uh, fought with coalitions of people, and it's important that whilst not telling the story, whilst kind of focusing here very much on the nine, yeah, that on the margins you also you not only see like uh, you know the the cop being the horrible racist bully that he is but you also see that Scottish lawyer probably offering his services you know yeah so yeah yeah um, you know what else is 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 big picture small picture i just realized is the name of the whole anthology small acts yes. it refers to or it's, it's drawn from a bob marley song 
and the, I think I can't remember the line exactly, but it's something like "You're the big tree, we're the small axe." Mm. And I think the song was referring to the music industry, right. like like you, the music industry was the thing we'd have to chop down. That relates to the entire thing, right? This is one small battle that takes place in a much much bigger picture. And I think that, and so that is probably a through line that we should be looking at in the rest of the series. Right. Okay. Um, That's very good. Yeah. It's there in the title. So. Um, I also want to say something because, you know, obviously, like, my friends have been uh, on Facebook saying, oh, you know, this is fantastic, you should really see it. And, you know, I was still kind of... Mm. <laughs> About this in particular. Yeah. Right. You know, I was kind of... You know, the, the combination of, of it being Steve McQueen, which whom I love, but who's, who's always... Who always requires effort, <laughs> right? And the viewing of the films is never quite, like, a pleasant experience experience yeah yeah they put you through the ringer a bit they put you through the ringer a bit so i thought oh so if you have any reservations like mine forget about it right mm. like kind of you know this is hugely enjoyable important uh and i think actually it should be getting a lot more attention than it's been getting because you know i haven't heard anyone say anything negative about it but you would expect for something this major that there would be a huge kind of concerted publicity push on it, you know, in a way that other television shows get and that I, I haven't seen for this. I'm not sure I have, although I don't think it's snuck out either. And I think it is, it's something that I'd heard of before I came to it. And sure. Was I surprised at how much I enjoyed it? I don't know. Um, because the reservation that you mentioned about Steve McQueen's work being kind of hard work at times is true, but I didn't, that didn't occur to me. And from the moment it started, it kind of seemed clear to me that the, the tone in here was... Lighter might not be quite the right term, although I think it is, probably. But, you know, but yeah, more accessible. It's more keen for you to understand it. And I think that goes along with it being television. This isn't something where... You know, the thing was with Widows, with 12 Years of Slave, the idea is that you're sat in a cinema with no escape and mm. you can be shown whatever sure. you need to be shown. And in here, I think there's more of an effort to grab you and keep your attention and oh, make yes. things easier. yes. Um, I think without a doubt, um, you know, so, so it is, it is, it's a, it's a work that is very intent on communicating with its audience. Yeah. And it makes it as easy as possible to do so without dumbing it down. Yeah. Yeah. I it agree. is from the beginning, you know, intelligence. It's a work about ideas, about history and so on. Yeah, it doesn't dumb it down at all, but it, it gives you all the information you need and it engages you emotionally, you know, in very direct ways. I think as well, and this may have something to do with it being on television rather than cinema, is um, there seems to be less of an instinct to show you the really horrific things. So mm. people get beaten in this film. Yes. People get kind of locked away and, and very, very bad mistreated. You know, like I say, you see this one black kid get chased for no reason and arrested by the cops and so on. And you understand that it's all happening. It's very legible. But mm. I think it may be related to the fact that this is, again, like you have to be responsible when you're putting things in people's homes mm. um, through television, that it's not uh, overly... Well, it's not overly graphic, mm. for one thing. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of cuts away by the point you very clearly understand what's happening or something is shown out focus. I'm thinking of when... I forget who it is. It might be dark as how when he's um, manhandled by the court officer mm. and beaten in the face, the focus is in front of him. You know, mm. So that happens in the background, but it's quite mm. clear what you just saw. Mm. You know, I think there's an element of uh, restriction of that, mm. which I think is really suits the film. Mm. 
and maybe kind of keeps you from being turned off and there's nothing as like the, the hanging scene in 12 Years a Slave in this you know where that was the objective of that scene yes. was to face you with it yes I want to talk also a little bit about the look of the film mm-hmm. yeah because um, I think it looks fantastic it's all these kinds of brown and yellows and these color combinations that you don't often see on television and also the way that all of the characters are lit which you can easily distinguish you know kind of the various shades of brown <laughs> yeah that yeah. people are and the various shades of brown in people's faces i you know kind of uh in a way that again is 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 unusual yeah oh, i didn't think that about the color combinations though because i get i mean not that i like thought they were boring but i thought these are these are colors i associate with the period with the area the kind of things that people wear and so on maybe a little bit more colorful Yes, I mean, it, they are the colours of the period, for yeah. sure. Uh, but I also think they speak a particular culture, yeah. Mm. You know, that bright yellow umbrella, mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, against... Because it's, it's yellow and purple, yeah, with Letitia Wright's <laughs> face framed on that, right? You know, it's kind of... I mean, it's a very beautiful image, and actually yeah. all, all of the colours complement each other and frame her, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, um, it's very beautifully put together and considered film the attention to the image is you, can, you really actually can kind of revel in it yeah i think that's wonderful and even though again um televisually i think i think it has a televisual aspect there's an awful lot of close-up yes. but they're still artfully framed yes. interesting angles are found yes you know but i mean to be fair i must say when it got into certain parts of the courtroom scenes i thought oh these are this is what i associate with british courtroom drama on tv yes a lot of the look and that might partially be because that's you don't see courtroom dramas in Britain in cinema very much. Actually, they really are the domain of TV. Yeah. So those images, I guess, kind of get associated with that, those sets and yeah, and they the have dress. become yeah. Um, but um, still, I think that's something that I find yeah, I find very televisual, and I find it televisual here still. Yeah. You know, kind of like I say, considered interesting, beautiful. Yeah. And so on. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, it's it is television, mm-hmm. um, but I did think that there were things that I don't normally associate with with television, you know, and that is kind of, you know, the use of the poetic image, mm. yeah, as consistently as you see it here. Uh, also, the courage or the confidence, is a better word, to hold on to time. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, some shots are really held for a long time. Yeah, I don't know, five seconds or ten seconds. Yeah, it's a long time to yeah. hold a shot, right? Uh, you know, You're to- thinking of the colander rocking from side to side when they've been raided. I'm thinking of the colander. I'm also thinking of, you know, the roof in the old Bailey, yeah, when the yeah. camera goes up and you see that shot for a really long time. Um, there's a few of those. There's a, a, a shot of a fender, you know, in the rain with a megaphone reflected on it that's held for a really long time. Mm. So, so quite a lot of that. Mm. And also there's a lot of long take. Um, and long take in that kind of... Not like I mean, remember the remember the long taken hunger was like super showy off. Mm. It was just sitting there for twenty minutes and go mm. through the scene. And the shot itself wasn't actually showing off. It was sat on a tripod, but mm. it was the, the the whole you know that scene was a kind of stunt. Mm. I suppose um, it's not quite like that, but it, this but this is a kind of it's a kind of Spielbergy long take. Like I think we've talked about before, where it's about doing something in one take if you can. Mm. You know, not cutting if you don't have to. So the camera will follow people around. It'll go into the restaurant, out of the restaurant. And it's all very natural. You don't actually notice. I'm, I mean, I picked up on it. I was watching quite attentively and I saw mm. it happen. But it's not... It, 
it's not drawing attention to itself in the mm. way that you associate like a Paul Thomas Anderson shot from like Boogie Nights, you mm. know, or um, or the, or the shot from Goodfellas, or that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but again, it speaks to a kind of a consideration of the image and a, a carefulness mm. with what's being set up, and I like that. So we are now going to see the second one, which is called Lovers Rock. Lovers Rock. So on the basis of what we've seen now. What will you now be looking for in Lover's Rock? Well, as I mentioned, I'll be looking for the, the small axe idea of small ideas and big ideas or a small fight in a much bigger world, that kind of thing. I think that kind of contrast very much came through mm. um, in this. And stylistically? Stylistically, I, well, I don't know what the second one's about. Mm. Um, I mean, really, no. maybe it sounds like it's about music. So I don't know. So, you we'll know, see. I don't know, but it'll, it'll, be like, it'll be the setting. The colours, mm. um, as you mentioned, um, I think I'll be looking for more long takes mm-hmm. because I like spotting that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't know what to expect, really. All right. Well, we'll we'll see uh, when we see it, which we shall do so now. Uh, so, uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and uh, Google Podcasts. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatmovies.com. Mm-hmm.